This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Welcome back to Behind the Markets here on Business Radio. Powered by the Ward School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. We are broadcasting from the Global Interdependence Center Conference in La Jolla. They have a conference here on digital money, decentralized finance, and the puzzle of crypto. Uh, we're very lucky to have President Pat Harker, the former dean of the Wharton School here on Wharton Business Radio. We have Jeremy Siegel, professor of finance uh, from Wharton here with us to, to interview Professor Harker, talk about views on monetary policy and we have three Philly people. I think we all could agree this weekend the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl, um, Professor. But maybe President Harker is worried I'm, about ticket prices. I'm, I'm wearing my Eagles tie right now. So go Eagles. We got Eagles green. Um, but Harker's worried about prices rising. The professor wants the party to keep going. Um, but Professor, why don't I let you give some opening comments on your thoughts on policy, the economy, inflation. Then we'll go back and forth with President Harker. Yes. Well, first of all, thank you. Uh, I'm going to call you Pat because Pat was my boss. He was the dean of the Wharton School. So we we know each other very well. So Pat, and it'll be Pat and Jeremy, I hope, uh, during yeah. this this interview. Um, uh, let me just give a 30-second uh, uh, summary of my view, and then I'm going to ask uh, Pat a question. Uh, as listeners have known for the last two and a half years, I've been Warning about inflation very early. I was very concerned about the excessive monetary expansion of the Federal Reserve. And uh, as the data came through, 2020 showed the biggest um, increase in M2 money supply in 150 years. Uh, uh, So I thought the Fed was extraordinarily behind the curve there. Um, and I'm glad they finally got it, but uh, I've been concerned over the last six months that uh, maybe they got it, uh, <laughs> got the religion too uh, too quickly. Uh, the data that came in for 2022 showed uh, a negative growth of the money supply, and in fact, the slowest growth of the money supply in 80 years since the Great Depression of the 1930s. Now. Nothing is severe. We're only talking about a two, three percent decline, but a deceleration uh, that uh, is is uh, more acute than we have ever seen in the post-war period. Um, so I'm now very concerned about a recession uh, in into the future. So let me ask uh, Pat uh, question number one. Chair- Chairman Powell has often talked about the so-called long and variable lags, and that is a nod to Milton Friedman's work on monetary policy that monetary policy uh, does entail. Um, Yet, the way he talks about the implementation of policy is that he actually needs to see the economy slow down uh, before easing or stopping the rise in interest rates. I think that's waiting way too late if the bulk of this extreme tightening is still yet to be felt 
why would you not pause now rather than risk overreaction? Okay. Well, thanks for having me, Jeremy. Um, first of all, nobody's your boss. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let me just say, these are my views and not the views of anybody else in the Fed necessarily. Um, so I think we go back a little bit and we look at where we were in fall 2021, we started to see clear signs that, I, at least I did, that inflation was not as transitory as everybody thought. Uh, and you said that too. But we were hearing it from a lot of our soft data, right? The hard data still wasn't completely showing that, but the soft data was starting to show it. So I went off of Team Transient, <laughs> joined more Team Persistent uh, then. So where we are now is, for a whole variety of reasons, we're in this situation. I think one is the liquidity you raised. Other is the fiscal response as $6 trillion added to the U.S. economy. Uh, and uh, a host of other issues, including black swans like the Ukraine war, the tragedy of the Ukraine war. So lots of things happen. But we are where we are right now. And I think where we are right now, and I share some of your view, I think we need to get above five. We're really close to that right now. And then pause. How much above five? We'll see. And what's driving this, in my view, I, I don't, right now, my modal forecast is not uh, recession. But what's driving this, of course, is inflation. And we are starting to see early signs that inflation is coming down in the hard data. And we're also hearing more and more in the soft data, the survey data, anecdotes we're hearing from our contacts throughout the third district, that things are starting to soften. And some of this is also mechanical. Shelter inflation is going to naturally just pass through as we're seeing the Zillow rents, for example, if you look at that data, uh, that's coming down. So I'm, I'm not in the camp of saying we need a recession to solve this problem. I think we actually are increasing the odds we can get a soft landing. That doesn't mean we're out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. It's still possible. But I think we can avoid that by just being prudent. And in my mind, prudent means a couple more 25s. I was a while ago saying we need to dial down from 50 to 25. And now we just move at this pace, our normal pace, our historically normal pace of 25 basis point increases, get above five and sit there. I agree with you. We don't need to keep going. We don't need 50s anymore. We just can take our time, see how things work out. And again, if the inflation numbers continue in the trajectory they're on right now, which would be great, uh, and the job market remains so strong, I think we actually have a pretty good chance of uh, this tough landing that just a few months ago, people didn't think was possible. And yeah. I have to say, the our survey of economic projections, uh, you know, our professional economists that we survey, they share this view that it's more probable now that we can pull off a soft landing. But again, not it's not 100%, and we know that. I would like. I would like to. I, mean, I want to go back to the, uh, the the rental and the CPI index in just a moment. I want. I want to talk about wages. Um, yep. uh, I, I believe that the Fed's and and Chairman Powell's focus on wages is 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 misplaced in the following way. Uh, wages have lagged uh, inflation over the last two and a half years since 
the pandemic began in March of 2020. In fact, they're six to eight percent under trend. And the way that the Fed talks or uh, or certainly Chairman Powell is we got to get wages down when they've lagged inflation is this, this sounds. And in fact, I'll, I'll say anti-labor to me. We're not going to let you catch it up to uh, the inflation that has uh, occurred. Um, uh, let me let, let me read uh, something that Chairman Powell said um, in nineteen, excuse me, in twenty nineteen. Now this was bef- just before the pandemic. Uh, he said the relationship between the slack in the economy or unemployment uh, and inflation was strong uh, fifty years ago, but it has gone away. Um, uh, Powell said Thursday during his testimony before the Senate Banking Committee, he added. The strong tie between unemployment and inflation was broken at least 20 years ago, and the relationship has become weaker and weaker and weaker. But it almost sounds like he's bringing back the old Phillips curve, which three years ago he seemed to disavow before congressional committee. Um, I mean, what is your view on this catch-up and, uh, and, and overly concerned about perhaps, you know, wages catching up to the inflation we've had. So the Phillips curve, if we think before the pandemic hit, it was flat. And again, the Phillips curve, the relationship between unemployment and inflation, it was flat. Article after article were written about why it was flat. The this we hit a wall with the pandemic, right, as people started to drop out and were shy a lot of workers. And again, for a lot of reasons, whether it's immigration or early retirement, et cetera, we all know there's reasons. And so it may have steepened the Phillips curve, but I think for a period of time. I mean, you look at where we are uh, with unemployment. Uh, and so that was tight before the pandemic, and it's now tight. It's really tight. But, you know, this is a problem, we, an issue. It's not an issue. It's a good thing that unemployment's low that we've been experiencing now for quite a while. I mean, the pandemic just accelerated something. So on the inflation front, uh, with respect to wages, I am, well, I'm concerned because we're shifting from goods to services and we're seeing a lot of service inflation. I'm not overly concerned because I do think that uh, there's two variables, right, that a company has. Uh, One, they can increase or, or, or limit wages, but they also can increase or limit their margins and compress their margins. And so they can eat some of this wage increase by just margin margin compression. And I think you're starting to see some of that happen as well. So I am not overly concerned with respect to the, the wage issue feeding into inflation, given what we're seeing and what's driving. Now, it is an issue on the service side, right? We all experience this. We go in the restaurant, things are more expensive. But overall, um, I'm not as concerned. We're starting to see in here some leveling off. We're starting to hear stories, take healthcare, big employer in the U.S. Uh, we're starting to hear some easing of the pressure, the short-term pressure on, say, nursing salaries and, and so forth. Still long, and this is the thing I'm really focused on, Jeremy. There's still longer-term structural problems that we have in our economy that we had before the pandemic that have just gotten worse because of the pandemic. 
I'll tell you one good good example. I talked to presidents of universities, heads of health systems. The nursing problem isn't going away. Part of it is because people are not going into nursing school right now. I mean, people, it, they're seeing a, a decrease in people because of how hard it was during the pandemic. But think about one of the hardest jobs that people had to deal with was in healthcare. So we still have longer term structural problems with respect to the labor market that we still need to address. We need to get more people into the workforce that are on the sidelines or more people, frankly, into this country who are qualified to fill the jobs. But hiking rates isn't the answer there, right? No. And that that's outside the, the realm of monetary policy. But Right. That that's what a, I'm wondering. Is that something that structural change? And I agree with you, Pat, 100 percent, 1,000 percent on this. I mean, is is the club of monetary policy supposed to address a structural oh. shift? I, I think that that would be the wrong policy. Oh, I agree. In that case. Absolutely agree. And so, but we have to call it out because it has such a profound impact on the economy and where we want to go. Yeah. Right. But if there has to be, you know, for whatever, and I agree with, and Chairman Powell, in fact, has said a structural shift um, may have to necessitate real wages to rise. And if you're going to tamp down, you know, nominal wages en- enough, you're going to be w- way too deflationary. Uh, to let the markets uh, clear on the labor front. Um, and and, and uh, I mean, that's another yeah. concern, I think, about focusing, you know, so strongly on, on labor. Now, of course, that will feed into service inflation some amount, but that is something that, again, is a structural thing. Just like if there's a drought and there's uh, and the wheat uh, output goes down, wheat price will, will go up, but the, you, you don't want the Fed to start tightening monetary policy in that condition. Right, right. And so I think the that's why, again, back to where my views on policy, we don't need to overdo it. I mean, we need to get above five and sit and let the markets work. Right. Uh, I want to go back to the, the, the question of shelter and it, it the, the what I call the housing price distortion in the consumer price index, something I've been talking about for actually over uh two years. Uh, and I'm glad that I'm I, I'm going to I'm going to say finally see uh, uh, Chairman Powell uh, address that uh, uh, as he did pretty directly in the in in the February meeting. I mean, and just to throw out a statistic that I was uh, talking about in, in, the, in the first two years of the pandemic, the, the case Schiller index of uh, national housing prices went up by 44.5% between March of 2020 and March of 2022. Uh, the, the Zillow and the rent index were up by 35, some 40%. The housing sector, as computed by the Bureau of Labor Statistics during that exact same period, was up only 11%. That shows you the tremendous lags, and I'm don't yeah. know why they put those all in. They put those in in the early 80s, and I don't know the rationale, but I think has given a very distorted view. First of all, understating the true inflation from 2020 to 2022, and now currently overstating because both, as you yourself mentioned, Zillow rent index and, in fact, the K-Shore index are down for five consecutive months. Um yeah. 
this, and this is big, and this is huge because rental. If I, I mean, housing owner occupied and and the rental is forty two percent of the core. So you know, if you're you're understating by twenty to thirty percentage points over a cumulative period, you're talking almost about a a ten percentage point understatement of what inflation used to be. So this one of the lessons I learned throughout this whole experience is don't use a single metric for anything. And that includes don't use a single metric for inflation. You really have to uh, really disentangle the inflation numbers and look for other sources. The other thing we learned, right, is more real-time data we needed to use during this process, whether it was looking at Google uh, data in terms of commutes and restaurant uh, open table restaurant reservations. But one of the things we, we continue to look at is something like the Zillow index, because that gives you a better sense of where things are going to be. We're, the data we have is all backward looking, except for the survey data. That's where we need the real time data. And that's, again, if there's a lesson, there are many lessons we're going to learn coming out. One of them is a much more emphasis on real time data, soft data, in terms of forming policy, at least that's what I've learned. Yeah, I mean, it was was this distortion between you know the BLS and the real time data? Is this something that uh, the Fed has more recently discussed? Because it was going down, it was going on during the inflationary two thousand twenty one period. Also, I mean, uh, I, I'm just sort of wondering where where uh, you know. You're, as you said, I'm. I'm now appreciating that. What do you think that that was sufficiently appreciated by the Fed? I actually calculated in 2021 uh, that uh, year-over-year inflation using current data was well over 10 percent, not the 8 percent that the BLS had, had calculated. Because at that time they were way understating the true housing data. No, I think we've come to this realization. I mean that we need to rely on multiple, multiple sources of data. Again, I can't speak for everybody else. I've come to that realization uh, that we always had that information, but except, for example, the Google data, which was relatively recent. Uh, that, I think, is, again, one of the lessons we need to take away from this and, and just do a better job of integrating a lot of different data sources. If, if uh, you know, uh, we, we had, uh, Wisdom Tree and Jeremy Schwartz has been helping me. We've been computing a real-time CPI using Zillow and Kshiller data, we find actually core inflation over the last three months to be negative. Um, as you know, core inflation on the BLS, I think it was 0. 0.6, 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7 or something very close to that just keeps on plowing forward, trying to make up so many, you know, such a lag that it has there. If you actually put minus 0.3, minus 0.4 that that has, and again, with a 42% weight on core, you get a completely different view on what core inflation even is doing right now. So the the meta lesson I get from all this is that as a policymaker, you have to have tremendous humility in what you know and what you don't know. And at any turning point in an economy, any turning point in a system more generally, uh, the data becomes messy. It becomes unclear. So here's where, again, I think we need to proceed, but proceed with caution. We don't need to keep raising rates 
at the pace we were raising. We can start to slow it down, which we've done, and now we can start to pause at some point soon. Right. Hey, you were a, a professor of professor of information management technology. Innovation was one of the key themes you focused on at Wharton. I know the professor talks a lot about productivity in this economy. Do you, do you see, and you talked about structural shifts, do you see last year very negative productivity, yeah. all the jobs in the first quarter, just January jobs report, hugely negative on productivity implications. What's your thoughts on what's happening in, in productivity? Yeah, I mean, again, like <laughs> that's a very complicated story. Uh, one thing for sure that's happening is we, the boomers retired, we took away with us a lot of knowledge. Uh, and you talked to CEO after CEO, and they say, you know, these new workers are just not up to speed yet. Whether it's a machinist learning the trade or a customer service rep learning the trade, they just don't have the skills yet because they're new, right? They're relatively new. And so it's going to take some time to get those folks up and running, A. Uh, but then there's also longer, you know, we've had this longer term trend in productivity that has been well documented. Uh, at least measured productivity. Again, we can argue how we measure productivity. That's another story for another day. But, you know, that's a good uh, episode we need to do. Yeah, that's yeah. a whole other story. Yeah, you, you know, uh, I've been pointing out last year we what added over 5 million workers and we got less than 1% growth in GDP. That's never happened before. In fact, the first two quarters of last year uh, were the worst two quarters in productivity growth in, in U.S. history. Right. right. Uh, so, I mean, is this something that y- y- people at the Fed have talked about? Yeah, uh, yeah. In- Absolutely. Because, yeah. again, if you step back and ask any CEO of any company, hey, how's it going hiring all those unproductive workers? Saying, that's, not my, that's not what I'm doing. That's what I plan to do. So there's a there is really a disconnect between what we're measuring and what we're seeing on the ground. That said, there are lags and there are serious lags with all these new people who have come in with we the boomers leaving. I mean, I, I can tell you that, that this is the largest generation, as you know, Jeremy, to go into retirement. And I mean, t- I'd retired at that time. <laughs> at that time. Right. And, we're, and we're taking we're taking a lot of knowledge and skill <laughs> with us that has to be uh, given to the next generation. I want to shift again. Um We've had uh, James Bullard on quite a bit on our, our show, and um, he made a statement. Um, I think it was right after the financial crisis. Uh, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase him. Fool me once, fool me twice. I'm not going to be fooled anymore by the Fed about the seriousness of an inversion of the term structure of interest rates. Well, I, I don't know if James is uh Forgotten that um, we have a serious inversion of of interest uh, of the term structure of interest rates. Um, uh, It is, as you know, the most reliable single indicator ever of the business cycle. Only miscalled one recession since World War Two. And yet the Fed seems even if it hikes just 25, 25 more basis points, going to invert that term structure even more. Uh, again, there was always, the Fed always explained it away, and then it resulted in a recession. Why do you think it does not matter now? So first you said, I think the key word and what your statement was, the question was, is single measure. I think in this particular case, given the extraordinary circumstances we've faced, uh, 
And what we're seeing, I mean, with a labor market this tight, uh, it, it is a recession possible? It's always possible. But right now, that is not in our forecast. And if we have one, if, uh, we don't see it being deep. It's, if we have one, it, it looks like it would be shallow and uh, a quick uh, to recover from. But we'll see. I mean, mm-hmm. but this again, we just, let's be cautious right now. Uh, we don't need to keep moving with the speed we were. Professor, we're running out of time for our serious program. Maybe we could do a few extra minutes for a lot for our podcast. But any closing final comments, questions uh, for for Pat here? Yeah, just one. Uh, he, you know, Chairman Powell has brought up the 1970s a lot. Um, worried about stop go. Uh, I, I I've written on that period and looked. And, and by the way, on the money supply, the Fed never never during the 1970s lowered the money supply. They kept on pushing it in. Yes, there were periods where interest rates did go down and up. But in my opinion, they never applied the extreme of monetary policy, such as we saw the Fed in, in, in 2021. So I think you have to be very, very careful about that. We don't want to do the 1970s. You have not done the 1970s. Um, and, um, uh, you know, and you have to pay attention to money, as you said, more than one thing all the time. Do not ignore that liquidity in the economy. Yep, I agree. And on that note, <laughs> <laughs> we have agreement. We have agreement. <laughs> Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl. And Pat agreed. Uh, well, we're both Philadelphians. I'm not going this year. Um, Ticket prices uh, are too high. Core services X uh, X shelter too high here, Professor. Yep. <laughs> Well, this is great. We've been broadcasting here live from the Global Interdependence Center Conference. Pat Harker, thanks so much for joining us for this broadcast. Professor Siegel, always great to have you. You can listen to us on our Behind the Markets podcast. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit WisdomTree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.